A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, you're listening to the free version of CanadaLand, and God bless you for it. But on the other side of this velvet red rope lies a VIP premium feed with no ads on it. It's uh, it's just like the version that you're listening to, only there are no ads on it. And also you will be supporting the show and helping us to do the work that we do. Just click the link in your show notes. It's five bucks Canadian a month or go to CanadaLandShow.com slash join and it'll automatically bloop install a premium feed on your podcatcher. Do it. Martin Patroquin, Quebec correspondent for The Logic, joining me from Montreal. Welcome to the show, Marty. Thank you very much for having me. Marty, today we're going to talk about inside sources close to the Prime Minister have confidentially leaked reporters a hot scoop. Turns out Justin Trudeau is awesome. But don't quote me on that. He would be so mad. Also, why some print newspapers in Quebec are thriving. Turns out the answer was right in front of us all along. The secret ingredient is racism. Glad to have you here. Thanks. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Courtney Simpson, J.R. Dingwall, Keenan Churka, Cindy Ma, Catherine Boschman, Marina White, Drew Franklin, and Will Straw. This is Will Straw. I'm a professor of communication studies at McGill University and a big fan of Canada Land. If you want bold investigative reporting on the WE scandal, on racism in Canadian media, on the COVID pandemic or the Nova Scotia mass killings, Canada Land is your most reliable source.
This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. And Marty, this episode of our podcast is brought to everyone by CFUV. And Eventide. Eventide is a free online concert series featuring weekly shows in July and August. It's organized by CFUV and the city of Victoria, British Columbia. Eventide features local artists from around Victoria and a diverse array of musical genres. You can find the streams at twitch.tv slash Eventide Music Series. All one word, Eventide Music Series. You can find more information at eventtidevictoria.com. Or go to the Facebook page, Event Tide Music Series. Martin, you've covered uh, politics in a number of different ways. And I think you know a bit about how things work in terms of the relationship between government and the press. I want to ask you a question. Yep. Have you ever had a, a story fed to you by a source and you get the sense that you're being used? Uh, No. With the caveat that I'm not in Ottawa, I'm in Montreal, and you know, location, location, location. So usually, when I'm uh, when I'm calling various government people, uh, it, it is more on my own volition. In that situation, yes, I've called them before, and it's been like you get the feeling that they are trying to torque you one direction or another. But I haven't been uh, given a story. No, not not uh, not that I can think of. I have been, and I don't necessarily mean to uh, sneer on the whole practice. I mean, the idea that every story starts with um, somebody needed the truth to be known because they believe in the public's rights. Like, where does news come from? Often, somebody's got an agenda. That doesn't mean it's not news. So I've had occasions where somebody has, like, given me a story that's embarrassing to their opponents. And I think, you know, you absolutely want to question if you're being used or not, but, but sometimes it's a good story, you know? 
It's complicated. The, the, the thing that you just said is, is key. It's a good story. That covers a hell of a lot of sin, uh, uh, undeniably. If it's a good story, mm-hmm. it's a good story, whether you're being used or not. Sometimes it's not such a good story. I want to, uh, there's a couple pieces that caught my attention. I want to run through uh, a few lines from them. This was uh, in the Toronto Star on August 8th by Tonda McCharles, yep. um, political reporter in Ottawa. Headline is, insiders say Justin Trudeau doesn't want an election. He wants to seize the moment and push through bold change. (laughs) Huh. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) This is a hot scoop. To be fair to Tonda, she didn't write the headline. Okay. Let's just get that out of the way. That's true. But she did write this. This is a story that that is built on sourcing from confidential, assumedly government sources. So... Uh, I'll read from it. Inside Trudeau's liberal government, an age-old debate is alive. How not to waste the opportunity presented by COVID-19? First of all, that's not an age-old debate, but let's, okay. Uh, there's a growing sense that key players believe that now is the time to take a more aggressive approach to being progressive. Trudeau and his inner circle are weighing how to roll out bigger, bolder changes aimed at bolstering Canada's competitive position post-pandemic. One source said, there's an opportunity for us to think big. Can we actually present a big vision? I think we can. So it's it's strange to me as a newsreader, why would this information need to be conveyed confidentially? If you've got some source close to Justin Trudeau, it's like, hey, you didn't hear it from me, but we've got big, wonderful things planned. I think the question that you have to ask, whether you're being played or not, is why would I give this person confidentiality? And why do they want me to run this story? If it's a member of the Trudeau government trying to put a pro-Trudeau story in your newspaper, why wouldn't they want their name on that? I think you got to ask that question. It's also, too, if you go through that quote that you just read, which is like, what, 10 paragraphs in. Uh, so let's go through it. Uh, Child care, uh, clean energy, climate change, vulnerable people, root up discrimination, uh, working people, progressive ideas, big vision. That is the Liberal Party of Canada's basically their campaign platform in 2015. They've been saying the same, same things for five years. It is an odd one, I will admit. The explanation given, the star is not identifying the sources because they were not authorized to speak publicly. Right. Well, why wouldn't you be authorized to say that you're trying to... That, you, that you're amazing. Yeah, yeah. This is a secret, but we're, we're amazing and we're going to be even more amazing. Here's, here's an interesting way of attributing a source. One insider with knowledge of the prime minister's thinking said that Trudeau is not looking at provoking a fall election, uh, but he's looking towards uh, the recovery phase. He's in a minority government and he's, he, has, he hasn't even power for even a year. Of course, he's not looking for an election. He's in the middle <laughs> of a pandemic. Nobody's looking for a freaking election. The Bloc Québécois is the only one out there right now, saber-rattling. And I dare them to try to make the government fall because they will lose their shirts if they do it. That whole paragraph is ridiculous. What is the story? The only story I can think of here is that, like, the timing of the story is the story, which is that, like, uh, in a week after just a terrible, uh, you can call it a scandal, you can call it a controversy, but the effect of the we controversy on the Trudeau government was not good. And here is a big headline in the Toronto Star about like this kind of FDR New Deal like vision they have for the future of Canada leaked to the press by confidential sources. Like there's a very clear motive as to why they would want this to be in the in the press. But there, but it's it's much less clear as to why they wouldn't just put their name to it. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the interesting thing, of course, is that uh, so, uh, again, we're probably 
80% way through the story. And then it talks a bit about the, the conflict between Morneau and Trudeau. And that sort of leads to what uh, Bob Fife wrote this, wrote this week, right? Yeah, you bring up the second story that I wanted to talk about, this Bob Fife thing that two days later ran in the Globe. Yeah. And, you know, Fife is, is uh, certainly not afraid to run stuff that this government hates, uh, but he is uh, uh, very much an access journalist who is like he's got the deep sources. Right. So here's Fife with this story. Uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau's job could be in jeopardy after clashes with the prime minister, sources say. Yeah. So, again, a story built on sources and insiders basically suggesting, you know, I, I saw this coming and it was sort of. um it was sort of suggested in some of Trudeau's uh, language a week or two ago that Morneau is going to take the fall for the we thing. But here's Fife with like a bit more than that. Like he's been fighting with the prime minister and Morneau is going to go. And, and then later we find out that, you know, Mark Carney might be the new minister, but he's got to become an MP first. And then, you know, this is obviously built on, on, on five sources, I assumed in the prime minister's office, but then not, not a few hours later, the prime minister's office says, this is not true. We're 100% behind Bill Morneau, but not committing to whether or not he's actually going to keep his job as finance minister. And yeah. then that triggers columns from Andrew Coyne and Campbell Clark. All of a sudden, we're talking about, is it true? Is it not true? Is he coming? Is he going? You know, it's not like um as sunny a positive story for the Trudeau government as the, as Tonema Charles in the star. But you know what it isn't? It's not more we controversy shit. It's just your usual horse race and, and trading and, and cabinet shuffle. The interesting thing is that not long after Fife's story, and actually not long after Tonda's story came out, Trudeau came out and said, uh, we had full faith in Morneau, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, all this to say is that they sort of denied the fact that Morneau is going anywhere. What they didn't do is come out and say, you know what? Uh, actually, Justin Trudeau isn't all that awesome. Uh, <laughs> we, we want to retract that. They, he doesn't have bold vision. Uh, you know, I, I can't ignore the way that these stories that are built on insider sourcing, people who have a clear motivation to move Canada's political conversation away from where it was for the past month, they're the ones who originated these stories. And now the political conversation is about all these other things. Throw in a little bit about, you know, the governor general. Suddenly we find out this uh, salacious story about her. And then, you know, somebody yells obscenities at Catherine McKenna. You know, it's terrible. I, I, I'm not trying to downplay the misogyny of this, but now we've got a whole news cycle about her having a press conference uh, about the kind of abuse that she, we're just talking about a lot of other things all of a sudden. Am I like trying to weave some crazy conspiracy here or or like it just seems to me like a pretty clear meat and potatoes. Hey, let's get everybody talking about something else. I think you're partially right. I think the idea that the PMO does what the PMO does is is try to obfuscate when they're in deep trouble, as they were with with the Wii stuff. The one thing I would say about Morneau in the case of Morneau, I think it's a little bit special because when you start seeing friction between a prime minister and his or her finance minister, it starts wreaking havoc on the markets, it scares investors, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that they came out and, and issued issued what they said, like a non-denial denial, basically, I think that that was part of the part of the play as well. Is the fact that they wanted to make sure that not necessarily Morneau himself, but that Canada's finances were in order or as good order as they could be in in, the, in these times. We're not seeing anything different than any other iteration of the, of the PMO, the modern day PMO, I guess, that started with Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, top-down organization that it is, that basically is a PR agency. They're good at it. They're good at it sometimes. They're bad at it sometimes, but they will always try to do the exact same kind of thing. You know, to go back to where we started with this, when I asked you uh, if, if you've ever felt like you've been played, th the best insurance against that is kind of like, your stories originate with you. Like you're curious about something. You have a question about something. 
Um, I guess maybe somebody brings you some information, but but like you're not a, a member of the parliamentary press gallery or an Ottawa based. You're, you're not the person that they would turn to. No, they would. When people are in that community, I've heard. Uh, I, you know, it, it wasn't an off the record thing. I, I heard Justin Ling at a conference saying there's nothing wrong with access journalism, with being friends, with uh, with having sort of semi social relationships with uh, people in government. It's not that somebody has a one beer too many and spills something they shouldn't have. It's always for a reason. And some journalists, I think, are like, that's fine. I, I, uh, so, somebody's going to report that. I'd rather it be me. I'd rather have the scoop. I get that. I guess I just feel like, you know, is there a special font we could use uh, or something to, to indicate? <laughs> I don't feel like it's necessarily so fair to the reader, these stories. Like, I, I feel like it, it requires a level of, of, of uh, insider knowledge as to how information moves in Ottawa that you can't really expect a general reader to have. And I don't know that, that these are like... The sourcing isn't really transparent. It's just like, trust me, I know people in government and they're telling me this. And there's no level of analysis as to why they're telling us this. I predicate it by saying that I think that the, the Rob Fife story, as I said before, and the, the Todd McCarroll story are, are in two different baskets. Yeah. Uh, the, the Fife story is almost like a, like a process story. Like this has been going on for a long time. And Trudeau slash the PMO is getting tired of Morno's antics or whatever it is. Whereas the Tony Mataro story is, uh, we can't waste this pandemic. We have to be more awesome. Martin, uh, one last sponsor to thank today, and that is HelloFresh, Canada's most recommended meal kit. You ever do this? You ever get a box of ingredients uh, sent to your house to make a meal? Yes, I do. I do get boxes of food. Yeah, it's a pretty good way to go. I mean, it takes a bunch of chores and it just turns it into uh, a delightful experience of uh, what what did I get today? Did I get speedy ginger pork stir fry with sugar snap peas and corn? Or did I get uh, cheesy beef pepper and corn enchiladas with uh, pico de gallo that you kind of make yourself? Whatever you get, you can make it in 20 or 30 minutes and it's a break from the routine and they use fresh seasonal ingredients I've done this a number of times and it's just always really appreciated that there's just something new to eat that probably we wouldn't have been eating otherwise. HelloFresh does all the meal planning, the shopping and the prepping. So dinner is solved for busy weeknights. They have kid friendly recipes. My kids like this stuff. Uh, they're guaranteed to please even the pickiest of eaters. Look at this deal. 80 bucks off of your first three weeks of HelloFresh. That includes free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.ca slash CanadaLand80 and enter the code CanadaLand80. One last time, that's HelloFresh.ca slash CanadaLand80, promo code CanadaLand80 for 80 bucks off of your first three weeks of HelloFresh, including shipping. Marty, let's note some things that people might have missed. I would like to note. Let's do it. I'm going to bring up the uh, the hasty dismissal of Tara Thorne, a, uh, a beloved arts and culture reporter in Halifax for the CBC huh. and elsewhere. Uh, you know, somebody who uh, is just seems to be loved up and down uh, for not only being really good at her job as an arts correspondent, um, but somebody who really like brought new attention to people who weren't getting it, exposed people to wonderful stuff they otherwise would not have known. Somebody, you know, who was really valued uh, in the arts and culture community and beyond. But here's what happened to Tara Thorne. The premier of Nova Scotia, Stephen McNeil, announced that he's stepping down. And uh, it was reported that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just like leaving politics some more time for the family. It's been hard on his kids, all of the public criticism of the premier, to which Tara Thorne uh, responded on Twitter. Oh, you know, to, to this point, it was hard for his kids. She wrote, it was hard for me to hear his son bang my downstairs neighbor 
the exact same way every night. Ooh. That's the kind of thing that, 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 uh, you know, I might tweet or anyone might tweet. It's the kind of thing people put on Twitter and then sometimes think, ah, that wasn't the banger that I thought it was going to be. So to speak. Yeah. So I didn't even realize I did that there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's the worst joke ever. Like, it's just kind of like, it's a bit mean. The part of it that I kind of like is like, it's, she's complaining not necessarily that it was hard to hear the premier's son having sex with her neighbor, but that he did so in the exact same way. The monotony of the banging was what uh, caused is what is what bothered her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that this does not require that much serious consideration, except to say that Wendy Mesley has not been dismissed. She's been reprimanded for, I guess, repeatedly using the N word in editorial meetings. And yet Tara Thorne was immediately dismissed from the CBC and what I'm duly noting is that the the arts community and just people who enjoy her work and just feel like this is like, come on, CBC, like you had like Gian Gameshi, like sexually assaulted a colleague and kept his job for years after that. You're going to get rid of her for a bad tweet. She deleted the tweet. She apologized for the tweet. It's an interesting one for me, Marty. And part of why I'm duly noting it is not just like that. I, I do think this is an overreaction. It doesn't seem fair at all. But I know that, that I try to see things from other points of view and... I've had many conversations on the show about it's not cancel culture, it's consequence culture, as Desmond Cole puts it, and like there are consequences to the things you say. I'm wrestling with this one because I just kind of feel like it's minor. I, I, I have a hard time seeing this as, as the consequence yeah. meeting uh, the, the, the crime, as it were. And I also just know that it's just like indicative of like a, a shitty cast system at the CBC, whereby if Tara was like staff they couldn't just get rid of her like that. It's just like, just to get rid of somebody like that after, I think, you know, she's been there for a long time. It, it seems pretty shitty. When things like this are put to me, I always go like, well, what would someone do to me if I'd done that? And I think I would have expected the exact same kind of treatment. You can't say that kind of thing. You just can't. If only he'd mixed it up a little bit. If only he'd tried some different <laughs> stuff out, you know, we could have avoided all of this. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this idea that de facto, if people are angry about something on Twitter, then the person loses their job. No, there were decision makers at CBC who could have gone a different way with this. Or maybe she just crossed the line and this is just how it goes. I think that's just it. I think the CBC was presented with this and then they look at it and go like, well, do we want to be associated with someone who's going to fly off like that? And have that person, as you say, very much associated with our brand. And clearly the answer was no. I guess is their call to make, like the only thing being that they're a public broadcaster and the public maybe should have some say in whether they want to keep hearing from her or not. But I guess they can they can exercise their desire to hear more from Tara Thorne in all kinds of other ways. There you go. Duly noted. Marty, what do you have today? Canadian Polish language newspaper called Glos. Rhymes with post, but with no T and a G and lots of anti-Semitism, as it turns out. So they ran a piece. This is by Tom Blackwell, friend of mine from old friend of mine from the National Post. The Polish uh, newspaper published a uh, couple of anti-Semitic tirades uh, in which they suggested that COVID-19 was created by air quotes, organized Jewry, and that the Jews caused COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Goes on to say that people like Lenin and Goebbels were all covert Jews, of course, Israel is the cause of all his worst woes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Not much reason to really look at this apart from the fact that, uh, you know, like as you would look at a car crash, you know, it's the old joke. The idea that Jews are organized over anything have never been in the room with two Jews because they could never agree on anything anyway. Uh, but it's the fact that, you know, that the, the newspaper got uh, government money and got government money recently to the tune of $270,000. So a bit odd. 
a bit odd that, that they continue to publish this kind of stuff. I mean, it's amazing to me that like these libels, you know, from from the bubonic plague, Jews spreading the Black Death to like modern day. I don't know where to begin with this. If, in fact, organized world Jewry had cooked up COVID-19, would it would it be a Polish Canadian newspaper that would blow the lid off of that conspiracy? Right. And would they would they have inflicted said said COVID on New York City? Uh, I don't think so. What does it say here that this is uh, the fault of usually Jewish psychopaths? Which is the name of the uh, <laughs> the hardcore band I tried to start in high school? The usually yeah, Jewish yeah. psychopaths. I won't treat this with much seriousness, so I will. I will mock this idiotic uh, bigotry, and of course, I'm disgusted by the fact that it's uh, government supported. I have my own kind of. Uh, you, you might even call it a prejudice, Marty, which is that I have like a harder time with Polish anti-Semitism than even German anti-Semitism. Because, like, I, I have a, my conception as a Jew is that unlike Germany, Poland never, as a nation, never fully accepted its role in the Holocaust. And so when you hear this kind of uh, retrograde venomous bullshit, I, it gets me angrier than just about anybody else being anti-Semitic. Poland in general does not like to be looped into it. So it's almost like they went the other way. Uh, they go like, no, we had nothing to do with this. This was Germany. It was never us. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, obviously Germany has spent decades upon decades trying to make amends for what it did during World War II. Poland, not so much. Yeah. Not all Polish people. Duly noted. There's one last thing I want to bring up. You know, we're talking about all kinds of different things here, and it feels like there's just something massive that we haven't talked about at all. Uh, as, as journalists, Marty, but also as just humans in the world, what, uh, what a tragedy it is to see kind of the fall of Hong Kong and what a tragedy uh, as a journalist to see stormtroopers, cops raiding the offices of Apple Daily and arresting, uh, publisher Jimmy Lai as yep. just a horrific sight. The aspect of that that I wish to duly note, the Canadian angle, if you will, is the Tor Star owned Chinese language uh, Tsingtao, which is Canada's largest uh, circulation Chinese language newspaper? They rejected a full page ad yep. that uh, that was criticizing the new national security law in Hong Kong, which basically places Hong Kong and free expression in Hong Kong under uh, Beijing control. Tsingtao rejected an advertisement that was purchased by forty or so pro democracy activists who cobbled together 3000 bucks to decry this law. Their side of this is is reasonable, which is essentially that, you know, we have discretion as to who we sell ads to. This mm -hmm. wasn't like a known group. This was just like a bunch of people buying an ad under like the moniker concerned citizens kind of a thing. And, you know, under a different context, I would be criticizing a news organization for uh, running a political ad that was not properly attributed. But in this case, I just feel like it's worth noting because the more I read about what is happening in Hong Kong and what's happening with the Uyghur community, the more I feel like the kind of fence sitting that Canada and Canadian institutions and Canadian media have been trying to kind of balance with China for a long time. I kind of feel like we're, we're increasingly getting forced to taking a side and which side that is, is, is getting clearer. Yeah, and and you know the 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 crackdown on Hong Kong. There's two aspects of it that are that are tragic. It's the it's the it's the crackdown itself, of course, but it's also the idea that you know China is centrally governed, and China as a government decided that it would be able to get away with this. What we're talking about right now is basically the the effects of that. They 
looked at it and said, look, we're going to get a lot of grief for this. Obviously, this is a what we're doing is a pretty big thing, but we're going to do it anyways because we think we can get away with it. And we are they are in the process. I will just say it. They are in the process of getting away with it. Duly noted. Hey, uh, you're going to notice that the recording quality switches here. We're doing our best through the pandemic, but uh, every once in a while we do run into some technical difficulties. Thanks for understanding. Back to the show. Marty, you and I have talked about the uh, notorious PKP before, Pierre Carl Peladeau, sort of like the last of the old world newspaper barons, a unique figure in Canada, but one who I think is, is most familiar to, to Quebecers. I read this piece that you just had in The Logic that uh, was interesting in like three different ways about how he is kind of bucking all common wisdom about newspapers. His papers are thriving, but it's complicated. And I'm wondering if you can take us through that a little bit. Well, we'll get to the complicated stuff uh, later, but just just on a sort of purely business front, um, you know, you look around the country as you do around the world mostly, and you look at print journalism and how it's going, and it's not going well. And the thing that sort of attracted me to the story was coming at it as a business perspective. It's going like, how is it that this company, Quebecor, which publishes Journal de Montréal and Journal de Québec, how is it that they're still printing seven editions a week? Uh, in print, they have you know something in the order of 2.4, 2.5 billion print readers a week. And get this, they actually hired during the during the COVID nineteen pandemic when everybody else is laying people off, furloughing them, et cetera. I just got into that and and uh, found out that the saving grace for for the, for these two newspapers uh, is a that they're they're actually are doing quite well. Uh, in terms of subscriptions, in terms of people buying them and that kind of thing. But they're also part of this massive organization that is Quebecor that produces content on all sorts of different platforms and uh, has a cable interest in Videotron that does uh, remarkably well. You almost you use the term, you know, uh, old school newspaper baron in there. And one of the things that's uh, old school newspaper barons used to do was buy these papers for the sake of them not necessarily making a whole lot of money, although they did back in the day, but also to sort of give them a, a bully pamphlet and a, a, a place in the national conversation. I get the feeling that that's exactly what Mr. Pellito likes about having this newspaper. It's it's tied to that. It's also tied to the fact that his father started them back in the 60s and that he's sort of making a point of bucking the trend in uh, in print newspaper when everybody else was getting is trying to get out of the game. I mean, he's an old school media baron if, if like the early 2000s are old school in that he's uh, captain of this uh, <laughs> vertical integration empire where you've got both the content and the means of delivery, um, you know, and, and now you've got like uh, elsewhere in Canada that's falling apart. Like Rogers is just like wildly divesting itself of content, owning the Internet pipes yep. is where the money is at. But, it, you know, Quebec is just a very different beast. And whereas in English Canada, you are competing with all of American media for English speaking Canadians media attention. Quebecers really do consume the shit out of Quebec made media. And that just creates such such a more favorable market condition. Yeah. I hope you're using the word shit in a nice way because a lot of it's actually really good. <laughs> in terms of a lot of the content, and I, I, I put Radio Canada and Quebecor in that, there is content on those shows that will, if you can straddle that language barrier, is up there if not exceeding a lot of the, a lot of the sort of standards that you get in the United States. 
that's something that has to be said. It's not just being produced and it's not just people aren't just watching it because it's in French. Quebecois especially figured out that you can't necessarily just do that. You have to be able to produce quality stuff. We were we were discussing that in, in the newsroom yesterday that it, it's not simply a matter that like trashy and and racist content uh, thrives in Quebec because it's oh it's Quebec that would be a gross uh, oversimplification because there's just like the full spectrum is still viable in in Quebec in the way that it is so there's a lot of like uh, really high quality investigative reporting happening in Quebec absolutely in that spectrum yeah. also also exists Journal de Montreal however you know La Presse ain't doing so well no nope. but the journal is thriving the same gambit that Sun News Television took that they could replicate a Fox News thing in Canada and they failed miserably in English Canada it does feel like there's a tabloid right wing um, press and outspoken fiery columnists. You write about this. T- tell me about Richard Martineau and the influence of a, of a columnist is just like not something we really see in English Canada to that degree. You don't see it anymore. That and that's and that's a that's an interesting point. You know, if you think influential columnists in in Canada, you think Andrew Coyne, obviously. For me, anyway. I read Andrew Coyne all the time, agree with him or not agree with him. I, I find him a very interesting person to read. And, but he doesn't have nearly the influence, I would argue, that someone like Richard Martineau has. Now, Richard Martineau is a uh, formerly left-wing uh, columnist for a free weekly called Voir. I was I actually worked with him way, way back in the day. Martineau was on his way out as, as editor, and he was still a columnist there. Mm-hmm. His old stuff was better thought out. It wasn't full of what he is now. And I'm not talking about ideologically. I'm talking about all caps and exclamation points. That's what he is today. He's a hot take machine. So he will just get angry at something. And he literally does it, I don't know, four or five times a week in a column, on the radio, on TV, et cetera, et cetera. And that's his gig now. That's what he does. You know, a lot of us can sort of sit around and go, it's terrible that he's sort of debased himself to this point. But the fact remains is that he's extremely, extremely popular. His ideology, Marty, as you describe it in your piece, is that uh, Quebec is under siege by a multi-headed hydra comprised of feminists, Islam, immigrants, English-speaking people, young people, leftists, the Black Lives Matter movement, the mayor of Montreal, Montreal in general, and, quote... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> obese pansexual penguin non-gendered trans muslims to name a few but the last one i guess is richard martineau joking <laughs> that's right this stuff is popular yeah it's popular uh he's had a job for with quebecor of one sort or another he made a really big deal about being a freelancer back in the day i don't know if he's employed now or if he's remained freelancer as a then just has one client but he's basically been there for you know what 17 years now doing various intonations of his shtick, which is to say that he's the aggrieved everyman who gets to say and do what he wants despite the well-meaning mob trying to stop him. And it works quite well. I wonder where this gets placed in, in, in a larger conversation about like the two solitudes and how I think a really distinctive culture that prides itself on, on I think, being less tight-assed and politically correct. Right. But those divisions are kind of collapsing, you know, like there, like there was this whole thing for a long time about how, oh, blackface in Quebec isn't the same thing. It doesn't mean the same thing as mm-hmm. blackface elsewhere. And we should be allowed to do it. Comedians here should be allowed to do it. And eventually, I think that it was just like that fight was lost was my takeaway from the last time that skirmish broke out. A- an aspect of your piece I found really interesting was that there's this younger generation of journalists at the journal that are leaving because of Martineau. And it's not even necessarily like uh, I'm taking a principled stand against his politics, but they're just embarrassed to be associated with a paper that publishes Richard Martineau. 
Yeah, and and I don't want to I don't want to limit this to Martineau. It's pretty much all I would say ninety percent of the the columnists on the roster uh, because they because they, they say a lot of the same things and it's it's a similar kind of take on 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 a lot of the issues. You know, I, I quote Daniel Weinstock in the piece. He says like you know they're not all ideologically identical, but they're pretty damn close. I'm paraphrasing him, of course. That was one of the things I discovered was that the Journal de Montréal, to the Journal de Montréal's credit take on a lot of young people. They're hiring young people. They let people do things that you wouldn't get away with at Radio Canada, or you wouldn't have gotten away with at La Presse if La Presse was hiring. And it's a great place to work, but there's always this sort of white elephant in the room, and it's these columnists. Like, Not only are the columnists popular and take up a lot of space, it's that the Journal de Montréal and, and Quebec or in general really hypes them, hypes them on every single platform that they have mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, you, you call up someone to do an interview and it's like, oh, do you know Richard Martineau? And that either works really well for you if this person happens to like Martineau, or if not, it's just like, I'm not talking to you because you are associated with Richard Martineau. Either way, it sort of distorts your job as a journalist. And I guess I take from this that like, there is a, a sensitivity to these things and like an awareness about them. And basically it's become a problem, at least for some people involved, like, so, like something might be changing. Uh, yeah, they, they want to, they're, they're bringing in new voices. I'm, I'm told that there's going to be um, uh, changes afoot fairly, fairly drastic on the editorial pages in the months that are coming. The one thing I would say about that though, is that I don't think the Matthew Buck Cotes and the Richard Martineau, uh, and Buck Cote being another uh, columnist there that uh, fairly contentious. I don't think they're going anywhere. And to me, the proof positive, of course, was was the sort of the, the, the hook of that, that piece that I wrote was that Richard Martineau literally wrote a column in which he predicated it on words that a man never said, despite him saying the opposite. And it didn't get retracted. There was no uh, correction appended to it. The column is still sitting there online, even though it is demonstrably wrong. He can get away with that kind of thing because of the eyeballs he pulls to Journal de Montréal. I think like any newspaper that has something good going for it right now, they're not going to try to give the public less of that. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Uh, Martin Patrick Quinn, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. It has never been easier to support Canada Land than it is at this exact moment. Uh, you just uh, hit the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join and you'll get ad-free versions of these podcasts and you will help this independent news company. Uh, five bucks a month. Go and do it. You can also email me if you want to at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that gets sent to us. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. We're on Instagram at Canada Land Show. Go check that out. Martin, where can people find you? The Logic, www.thelogic.co. We are a subscription-based news service that covers Canada's tech and innovation economies. And uh, we rely entirely on readers. There's no advertising or anything like this. And it is a new model of journalism. I suggest anybody that wants to read more about Canada's innovation and technology spheres that they subscribe to The Logic. Our website is canadalandshow.com, and uh, we have a new episode of Oppo up this week, which looks at the federal government's contact tracing app and does a thorough privacy audit on the show. Chris Parsons from the Citizen Lab. Check that out. This episode is produced by Shortcut's new producer, Tiffany Lamb. Welcome, Tiffany. And uh, our outgoing producer, David Crosby, is moving on to other things within Canada land. Thank you for everything, David. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. 
visit them online at cfuv.ca. Please support Canada Land. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.